0: You join me in thanking the Lord for the gifts of artists. And will you pray with me? Father, we still ourselves and we still this whole community, a pause in the middle of our week to come back before you to center ourselves. To find ourselves at rest in you. And to come back and turn to your words. Yours. For Lord, to whom else shall we turn? You alone hold the words of eternal life. Amen. You may have noticed um, laying rolled out here on the stage in front of me, um, this scroll... Dort University was incredibly privileged last year from the Faithlife and Logos Bible software family, Um, had amassed a, a huge collection worth literally tens of millions of dollars of biblical scrolls from all around the world in different eras of history. But they wanted to foster a love of God's word for the next generation, so what they've been doing now is handing these out to seminaries and colleges all across America to get God's word back in front of his people and allow them to fall in love with them again and live it out in the next generation. So a very very generous gift brought this scroll now to Dort University and it's a couple of hundreds of years old. It's all written by one single scholar and it starts in Genesis and actually this is only the Torah. This is only the Pentateuch, the first 5 books of the Bible. Uh, It's 82 feet long, so I couldn't even actually finish rolling it out by the time we got to the end of the stage. And afterwards, I would invite you, if you want to come forward and take a look um, at what this is, I'd I'd love you to come see it. Just please, if you would, don't touch it. This is actually all written on sheepskin, just like they would have done back in the day before the invention of paper. When oral tradition finally found its way to be able to be written down and passed down, this is the story of God's people it starts in the beginning and because Dr. David Westfall's Hebrew is so much better than mine I asked if he would be willing to read the opening verses in Hebrew um, for us if you would Dr. Westfall. Thank you. As those words are getting read, I imagine being all the way back in time, centuries, if not millennia, as God's people have this as sort of their lifeblood, as every young Jewish boy would have had this as the bedrock of his education, the beginning of a process of memorizing this. And you thought Dort's core curriculum was burdensome. All the way through. Write it on your hearts. Put it on your doorpost. Talk about it when you lie down and when you get up. Ingest it. They would memorize these words would so become part of them in the breast that they would breathe. They would gather back before in regular ceremony and hear it read back over them again and again. And this was the lifeblood that tells the storyline of God's people, and of course, it doesn't stop at the book of Deuteronomy. It continues on through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New, and this story continues on if this scroll could continue to unravel where you and I would find our place also in God's story. And as Dr. Westfall read from the very beginning in those first two verses, it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, right? In creation and hovering over the waters. And then the Spirit plays this particular role, not only in the forming of God's people, but in the preservation of their story. And this was so valuable to them, of infinite value. And the interplay between the work of the Spirit and the Word of God... Most of us don't think ourselves as very charismatic people, but we are word and spirit Christians. God speaks words and worlds form. God breathes the breath of life into us, and we receive it. We are word and spirit people. And in the Old Testament, the word and the spirit of God are intertwined very often. Michael Green says it like this. This God who is beyond us and invades our world does not do so in order to terrify But to communicate, the wind or spirit of the Lord is indeed power, but it is morally defined power, designed to communicate the will of God and bring his creation into conformity with it. That is why I think there's a frequent link in the Bible between the spirit of the Lord and the word of the Lord. The breath of God and the message of God cannot be divorced. And so the Spirit has been in this preservation act and also enlivening act throughout all of history when it comes to the Word of God. And there's these particular moments, especially in the Old Testament, where there's a moment where it says, like, the Spirit is poured out, or the Spirit showed up, or the Spirit came upon him. And often these are um, specific individuals at specific moments designed to do specific tasks. We often think of these sort of as the celebrities of the Old Testament when we hear their stories of judges and kings and prophets, but also artists like Bezalel and Aholiab who received a special anointing of the Holy Spirit as they built the tabernacle and created a beautiful space where people would come and meet with the Lord. These little punctuating moments that happen come like this, like in the life of Gideon. Early on in the story of the judges, it says, the spirit of the Lord took possession of his life. Or then when Samson came along, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Or when David came along, the spirit of the Lord came mightily, literally leaped upon David from that day forward. Not just the judges and the different kings of Israel, but also the prophets. Listen to the description of Ezekiel. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So the people of God had seen the Spirit show up, and at different moments when the Spirit comes, something incredibly significant happens and transforms because heaven invades earth, and the Spirit and the breath of God is seen moving in ways that's beyond just the natural laws, which he also upholds. It's not supernatural, but it is supernatural. And yet the longing is with all of God's people that this wouldn't just be for some people once in a while, but it would be for everybody. So from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. These stories are passed down to us as these specific instances in particular people's lives but the prophecies start to mount as the Old Testament unfolds that the day is coming when it won't just be the particular moments for particular people but it would come through Jesus and it would be for everyone. Often, though, we look back at these Old Testament stories and, and we kind of have this um, almost unhuman vision of these people who did such incredible things Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David, Samuel. These are sort of like they really are the celebrities of the Old Testament in our eyes. And yet, we also have to recognize that each time the Spirit shows up, there's also something new that gets introduced into the everything else that's very disturbing. The Spirit creates a dissonance. And I want us to know and to be able to go into this with eyes wide open that when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, often what happens, what we remember these people now to be celebrities for, made their lives very difficult and uncomfortable for a time. Careful what you wish for, right? So often in our Christian life, we want to bypass all of the hard things. And yet it's those moments that often define us the most and that God does his greatest work within. A healthy theology of suffering needs to be at work in the follower of, of every follower of Jesus. So when this story came along, it's punctuated at the Exodus moment and it becomes the defining moment in the national consciousness of the people of Israel. That's a big moment. And I want to talk with you about what happens in that next season when they're in the wilderness and what God had in mind and what the Spirit is bringing about in that. I think we often forget this because we pass over these stories so quickly. Israel was in Egypt for 430 years of slavery to the day before they were delivered. Now I want you to understand, okay, think about this for a second. That's like twice as long as the United States has been a country. Think of all the things when I say, what does it mean to be American? All the things that you would imagine in your mind, if you are American here. You would draw on certain memories and certain historical events and certain things that sort of are woven into the fabric of our society and our culture and our self-identity and mindset. But can you imagine a people forged in slavery for 430 years? It defined their national identity. That is who they were. that event perhaps more than any other was what israelites associated themselves with because that's when the spirit of god showed up and delivered them from slavery even when the 10 commandments are given down how does this whole thing start i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me it starts there with the reminder of that's your story When I was trying to think back of ways to help everybody understand, like, the significance of these powerful moments and how much they imprint themselves upon our memory, I was going to ask you all, because we remembered it this week, right, 21 years later, where were you on September 11? And then I was like, wait a minute, um, most of you weren't alive. And it made me feel really old. But you guys, that wasn't... In the life of a nation, that was a pretty big and significant event. But I mean, it wasn't like 430 years of slavery. But I remember exactly where I was that day. As I headed out of class in Vancouver, on my way to seminary, and I stood outside and wondered why there were fighter jets escorting planes into Vancouver International Airport. And I ran back inside and turned on the news just in time to see the second plane Crash into the second tower trying to make sense of what was all going on. I will never forget that. So, people forged in slavery for 430 years and then defined by the deliverance of their God. No wonder you'd want to tell that story to your kids. But what God had in mind, not just in the deliverance of it, but what happens afterwards and in that season in the wilderness is so key for Israel to become who Israel is. And the same is true for every disciple now. It's why the Spirit of God takes Jesus himself right after his baptism. You are my son who by love and you I am well pleased. And then immediately the Spirit thrust him into the wilderness so that Jesus would experience as the new Israel, the new Adam, the same thing that the people of Israel had. And he's shaped there. And he comes out on the backside ready to proclaim the gospel. So often when we think about the hardest things that we go through, the Holy Spirit gets reduced down to some sort of inanimate force rather than a person. But it's really important for us to remember that when we enter into seasons of difficulty, not just mountaintop experiences, that the Spirit of God is a person who is working. A.W. Tozer says it like this, If you think of the Holy Spirit as being literally a wind, a breath, then you will think of Him as non-personal and non-individual. But the Holy Spirit has will and intelligence And feeling and knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and see and think and hear and speak and desire the same as any person has. So the Spirit takes us into this wilderness season, right? And it's a friend going with us and he has particular desires in mind. And I guarantee you if you have not been through hard times in life, you will have to endure difficulty at different times. And what the long long view of the biblical story reminds us is we don't experience difficulty in spite of God's love. We experience difficulty at times because of God's love. Because he loves his children and will shape us. The wilderness is God's spiritual gym. He will take us there and work us out. He will take us there and bring us back stronger. He will take us there for a unique experience of Him that we're not going to get when we're running through the regular pattern of life. Sometimes, just like Israel needed a disruption from their slavery, we need a disruption from our own patterns as well. And I just want to share with you as we close today a couple of things that I think are reasons why the Spirit works so particularly in the wilderness. Number one, the wilderness is always the space between what is known and what is unknown. And I think that's part of the scariness for us. I have to imagine that for Abram when he was called out of Ur that the first step was probably the scariest. When you make that commitment that I'm leaving, like I'm going. Some of you had that going off to college. It would have been already terrifying. We're always afraid of the unknown. I remember being a little kid, every time we'd go somewhere I didn't know. Every, Every time we'd go somewhere I wasn't comfortable, I would draw closer to my dad holding his hand. I wanted to be near somebody bigger and stronger than I was. Maybe sometimes God needs to disrupt our own patterns just simply so we'll draw near. But you can't get to the next until you traverse that space of the unknown. And the Spirit of God is so known for enlivening His people with courage. Because you will be asked to do things in life where you aren't guaranteed the outcome on the other side. All you know is that you're supposed to go. And the unknown is scary. That's why even the Israelites, right, when they finally get out into the wilderness, and then they realize that they don't have food and they don't have water, and then they start complaining back to Moses, well, at least in Egypt we had food to eat. You want to be like, you were slaves. See, there's something about each one of us that's more comforted by the devil we know than the Jesus we don't yet. We will revert back to bad habits, to addictions, to things that we know destroy us, to things that we know we hate. Sometimes just because they are known. The unknown is scary. But the unknown is where the Spirit of God so often leads his people in order to cultivate faith and trust. Second, on the back side of this, when the Israelite people remembered that whole scenario and then going through 40 years in the wilderness before being able to enter the promised land, they still referred back to that event as the exodus and not the arrival. Because so much of our spiritual formation is more about what we are even leaving than what we are going to. They defined it by what they left that God delivered them from, from slavery. From slavery. From less than everything he had imagined for them. And not just the arrival. And it was important for them to remember that part of their story. So God gives them the Passover meal, right? So they'll get together and they'll remember. And they'll tell the story and remind themselves. Because it's good to go back and to be there and remind ourselves how God delivered. And how he showed up. Except every one of us so often still has this. Spiritual Stockholm syndrome. We're in love with our captor and our sins. And sometimes it's easier to look backward than it is to look forward. So the Israelites reminded themselves of the exodus, the leaving, and what they left behind. Every single one of us here has sins or things in our lives right now that God is calling us to leave behind. And as you look back on the story of your life, what might be the most defining during your college years might be that sin, that idol, that hope, that thing that you had your whole life pinned on that you finally let go of. When we realize that our athleticism does not define us. we got to let it go. Or that person that we thought was the only person in the whole wide world who could ever make us happy And we were willing to bet everything on it. We need to let it go. Because God wants to take us forward. And cure us of all of those things. Of the sins we keep returning to. Of the addictions that we think will somehow comfort us. And the return to the devil we know. Rather than the Jesus we don't yet. Because the unknown is scary. Even when his name is Jesus. And his spirit is powerful and good. Number three, the wilderness is where the spirit of God reveals himself in new ways. God showed up so big in the wilderness and revealed and became part of the stories that became the new identifying feature of Israel heading into the history. It became the new part of their identity. They were the people of the deliverance they were the people whose gods showed up and swallowed up the gods of Egypt, the superpower of the world. What a beautiful reminder to be able to take with you as their story gets rewritten in the wilderness, their identity gets redefined, made new. As you too, as you journey with Christ through cruciform living in order to share in the resurrection, get the same thing. Every time we are willing to go into that place when God's calling us or we're in difficult seasons, God is eager to reveal himself in new ways. Look back at your biblical story. Look back at all the biblical stories. God would ask somebody to do something incredibly difficult, but on the backside of that, something about the kingdom of God was moving forward and transformed. And I'm not going to tell you that in each and every individual person's life, all you're going to do is just move from glory to glory and everything's going to be great. And if you just follow Jesus, that everything's wonderful and the Spirit will never lead you somewhere difficult because that would be a lie. And it would violate this entire story. It is hard, but it is life. And to whom else shall we go? You alone, Lord, have hold the words of eternal life. That's how Peter articulated it. One last piece of encouragement as I wrap up. The fourth and final one. The role of the spirit in the wilderness is that only various special and adaptive creatures can survive in the wilderness. You ever notice this? You ever go hiking in the desert? Only certain plants with really thick skin and particular ways that have ability to get down to the water that's still in the desert. See, there's still water there. It's just a little harder to find. You've got to get a little better at it. And the creatures that are there have adapted to their environment. And they can withstand heat. And they can withstand cold and torrential rains that only come once or twice a year. In wilderness and in desert seasons is a place for people to emerge who are more particular and peculiar and different. And I believe that God wants to do some of that in each one of our lives. And so the question to ask when we hit a difficult season is not, God, why did you let this happen to me? The question we learn from the biblical story is, God, what do you want me to learn from this? And how are you shaping me? What do you want to do with this? I promise you I'm not a masochist, but I have learned this in 12 years of ministry with college students is when somebody comes into my office and starts talking about something really difficult going on in their lives, I'll be honest, there's a little part of me that starts getting excited. Like I'm sad for them in the moment that it's hard, but I'm also, there's this anticipatory spirit inside of me knowing that God does great things out of hard stuff. And we're not supposed to run away from it. We run into it in order to experience it, to face it head on. I have a good friend who's got these coasters of buffalo on his coffee table, and he's got pictures of buffalo on his wall, and I asked him what was a session with buffalo, and he explained to me that buffalo was the only creature that actually ran into a storm when it was coming, because the fastest way to the other side was actually just through it. And I was like, that's cool. Be the buffalo. To actually turn your head into the storm and experience the brunt of it, Knowing that the calmest and fastest way through is simply through. God will love you enough to strengthen you. He will take you to the spiritual gym. And I know there are some of you here who like going to the gym. Yeah. <sighs> In the words of the great King Julian of Madagascar, you're a freak. Um I'm not there, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm learning to trust the Lord that when he brings hard stuff, it's okay. And he's good. There is a promised land. And you will all be there. And you will get there. But what if God wants to do something unique about who you are in your character and your spiritual muscles when he asks you to go through something difficult? And what if he's not absent in it? What if he's the most present There. That's your God. That's this God. Telling this story. And it keeps going. Find your place in it. We you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your story. Thank you for your words. Thank you for those who have gone before us and taught us what it means to be faithful to the leadings and promptings of your spirit. Lord, help us to live that well. To trust you even when, and especially when, it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen.